Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. In 1967, in South Africa, Dr. Christian Bernard performed the first heart transplant, and the man lived 18 days. But do you know that 2,600 years before that, about the year 592 B.C., the prophet Ezekiel tells the Jews, God's going to give you a heart transplant. He's going to take out your hard heart and give you a new heart. Back in the early 1900s, the motion picture was invented, and at a town out west, they put up a screen in the theater and showed the very first time a motion picture in this town of a train robbery. Story goes that when the robbers went into the train, some of the cowboys took out their pistols and started shooting at the screen, at the robbers. But, you know, the, it didn't stop anything, it just kept going. What one of those cowboys could have done, which they didn't, they could have turned the pistol on the projector. That would have stopped everything. And see, our problem is not that I get angry and that I have a foul mouth or I'm greedy. Or, those are all the projections. My problem is, I got a bad projector. I need a new heart. We're going to learn today, hallelujah, God still does heart transplants. Before we get into Ezekiel, let me just give you a one-minute history lesson. Here's the history. 586 B.C., God brings in the Babylonians to invade Israel because of hundreds of years of Jewish idolatry worshiping false gods. God takes the Jews for 70 years to Babylon, and they're punished. Ezekiel the prophet is sitting in Babylon with some of the Jewish elders, and maybe they're wondering, will we ever get to go back home? Will we ever be God's people again? And while they're in that house, God gives Ezekiel a vision. The Holy Spirit lifts Ezekiel and in a vision flies him back to Jerusalem. And he has this vision of the new heart that's coming. Would you open your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel chapter 11, and let's pray. Father, we pray for us now with our sinful hearts that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit through this vision of how you want to give us a new heart. And Lord, we ask you to do that. Give us each a new heart and speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 11, starting about at verse 16. Here's the vision Ezekiel has. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, though I had removed them, the Jews, far away among the nations, and though I had scattered them among the countries, Babylon, yet I was a sanctuary for them a little while in the countries where they had gone. Therefore say, Thus says the Lord, I shall gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. Verse 18, 
when they come there, they will remove all its detestable things, the idols, and all its abominations from it. First lesson I want you to get, God's discipline brings a new heart. The Jews had gone after idolatry. God disciplines them by sending them to Babylon for 70 years, and it worked. When they did get to go back home after 70 years, they did clean up their act. Parents, if you want to instill a new heart in your kids, you got to discipline them. And adults, God has to do that to us. One way you get a new heart is when God disciplines you. In a town called Pottsville, Pennsylvania years ago, a, a high voltage wire landed on the sidewalk. And a Mr. Hildebrand was walking down the sidewalk, and a Mr. Uh, Slitzer started yelling at him, turn around, but he couldn't hear because of all the noise in the street. So Mr. Slitzer took a rock, threw it at Mr. Hildebrand, knocked him down, but saved his life. And later with tears, Mr. Hildebrand thanked Mr. Slitzer, thank you for throwing that rock at me and saving my life. See, sometimes it's good when God throws a rock at me because it keeps me from death. There's, there's a, a psalm that says, Psalm 119, It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. So the, the first lesson I want you to get, if God is disciplining you right now, you're going through a hard time and you know it's maybe because you did something wrong and God's disciplining you, praise God for that. He's giving you a new heart and he's saving you from something worse. Look at verse 19. God says, and I will give them, the Jews, one heart. I shall put a new spirit within them, and I shall take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Here's the next lesson. To get a new heart, you need a surgeon. Notice who does all the work in verse 19. I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit. I will take out the stony heart. The patient doesn't do the operation. The surgeon does the operation. <laughs> Now, I don't know if you can see it, I hope you can't, but here's a dip I now have in my head, and it's because I went to the skin doctor and he found skin cancer. So he opened up my skin, took it out, stitched it up, and now I got a scar for the rest of my life. But you know what? I didn't do anything, I just sat in the chair. He did all, the surgeon did all the work. I went to the dentist recently. I have a, a, a dentist who found two cavities. She took out the drill, she filled them both. I didn't do anything, I just sat there. Now my point is, if you need a new heart, and everybody does, you can't do that. Don't try to operate on yourself. You need a surgeon to do that. You need the Lord to do that. And, and, and I will tell you, um, the way you get a new heart is by making regular appointments with the surgeon. Well, here's what I mean by that. I was on a radio show recently and they, the question was asked, how do you stay in the world but not of the world? And I said, I have to have my quiet time. I have to have my daily appointment with God in, in which I pray, I read the Bible. I need daily appointments with God to keep my heart new. I heard a Christian marriage counselor say, our heart has a rubber band on it. And he said, you have to give your heart to your spouse every day because every day it'll snap back. So every day you've got to give your heart to your spouse. Same is true with God. I have to daily have my appointments with my surgeon because I can't clean up my heart on my own. 
The surgeon does that for me when I have my appointments with him. Let's look at verse 20. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be my God. Here's the next lesson. A new heart produces obedience. Words don't prove that you have a new heart. Actions, obedience prove that. I had uh, an Aunt Marge. And Aunt Marge was the most vocal Christian in our family. And years ago she was dying and she called me and she said, Well, Tommy, the doctor gives me four months or so to live. And she said, I've been blind for the last two years. But she said, I am listening now to the entire Bible on tape in these last two years for the 17th time. And I said to her something I'd never said. I said, Aunt Marge, I love you. I thank you through the years for the way you would bring Jesus up in our family. And I thank you for that. And um, I said to her, Aunt Marge, do you know when you became a Christian? And she said, I don't. But you know, here's the, here's, here's the point. Some people think the way you know you're saved is if you know the day you were saved. That proves you've been converted. The Bible never teaches that. You know how you know if you've got a new heart? Are you obedient? Not are you perfect, but are you generally obedient? I, I'm a Lutheran, but let me tell you the Lutheran heresy. Here's the Lutheran heresy. I was baptized as a baby. I got my ticket to heaven. Leave me alone. And now let me share the Baptist heresy. It's no better. I prayed the prayer 20 years ago. I asked Jesus into my heart. I got my ticket. Leave me alone. But what does the Bible teach? The way you know you're saved, are you obedient? Again, not are you perfect, but is the direction of your life toward obedience? Or are you living in impenitent sin? Then you're not a believer. Verse 21. But as for those whose hearts go after their detestable things and abominations, that would be the idolatry, I will bring their conduct down on their heads, declares the Lord. Here's the next lesson. A disobedient heart will be punished. I think America is in trouble. All of our pornography, premarital sex, abortion, now we have gay marriage. I mean, I think America's in trouble. Um, we've developed a hard heart. You know, when I was a little kid, we didn't have all these mass shootings. It was safe to go to the shopping mall. It was safe to go to school. Now it just seems every week you turn on the TV and there's been another... Sh uh, where did all this come from? Well, when you kick God out of your culture, you get what you get. A hard heart gets punished. One last lesson about the heart. Do you remember the story where King David commits adultery with Bathsheba? Then David kills Bathsheba's husband so he could steal her and have her as his wife. And then the prophet Nathan comes and says, David. And David gets convicted of his sin and he writes Psalm 51. If you've committed a sin, you want to take out your Bible and out loud pray to the Lord, Psalm 51. And here's what, what David says. 
The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite, O God, heart you will not despise. And so here's my last lesson. A new heart is a broken, contrite heart. That means when you sin, you're sorry, you repent, and you come to the Lord's forgiveness. You don't continue to live in it. Years ago, I remember, boy do I remember, <laughs> a woman from my church coming up to me and she says, Pastor Tom, I think I have a word from the Lord for you. I said, okay, and she said, you are supposed to do a self-examination and you need to get up and confess your sins and ask forgiveness from our church. And I said, do you know what it is that I'm supposed to ask forgiveness for? And she said, no, that's all I heard. You're, you need to look at yourself. And, and I did. It was hard on me, but I got in front of the whole church and asked forgiveness for various things. Because God loves a broken, contrite heart. So let's review this. If you want a new heart, how do you get it? Number one, you get it through discipline. If God is disciplining you right now, praise Him for that. It might hurt, but the result will be good. Another way we get a, a new heart is you get that from the surgeon. You can't do that operation yourself. So do you regularly have time appointments with God, your surgeon? Do you regularly pray, read your Bible? That's a way He gives you a new heart. Another way you get a new heart is the proof that you have a new heart is are you obedient? Not are you perfect. But generally, do you follow God? And when you don't, when you blow it, do you repent? Also, the thing about a hard heart, know that a hard heart will be punished. Pray for the United States of America. And then lastly, a new heart is a broken, contrite heart. Be willing to talk to God about your sins. And I'll share one more thing on this. I think God gives us a new heart when we take Holy Communion. That's the way God comes into our heart. Uh, and you know, there, there's a song that I, from Keith Green from many years ago, that is a great song to sing before you take Holy Communion. It goes like this. My eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, my prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. And now you pray for a new heart, for the surgeon to step in. But what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with bread and wine. The bread is you, your spirit of love. Come wash me anew in the wine of your blood. So I want to encourage you. We're all sinful. We were born with this wicked heart. It has rubber bands on it. So you got to daily spend time with the Lord. Pray, read your Bible. But then regularly take communion and let God wash your heart and make it brand new. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, the Lord, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Tom, can a person take Holy Communion at home? 
by themselves. Yeah, this question came in from uh, from someone that sees our show, and she said that there was a preacher on TV who said you can take a little uh, grape juice and a little cracker, and you can take communion every day all by yourself. And she said, "Is that right?" I don't think it's right. When you take communion in the New Testament, it's done in what's called the body of believers, the Christian church. Like, for instance, read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Christians came together. And, and you do it together because part of the symbolism is communion is one bread and many, many pieces. We're all part of the body of Christ. So I would not encourage someone all by themselves to take Holy Communion. I don't think that's biblical. Okay. What happens when we take communion? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, the Ho Holy Communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, whatever you call it, uh, five things happen. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So when I take communion, I'm remembering his death on the cross for my sins. He says, the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of sins. The Holy Communion reassures me that through Christ my sins are forgiven. It also says, um, as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So when you take communion, you're proclaiming that it's the death of Christ that saves me. Fourth thing that happens when you take communion, he said, I won't drink this wine with you again until I drink it new in my father's kingdom. So you're getting a foretaste of the great feast at the end of time in the kingdom of God. So you get, and then the, la the last thing, and this is kind of big, Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. Somehow in with and under the bread and the wine, we get the very presence of Jesus Christ. So Jackie, when you take communion or viewers, when you take communion, you're remembering Christ's death you get his real presence, you pro, uh, proclaim his death until he comes, you get a foretaste of the feast to come, and you remember his death on the cross. That's what communion is all about. You know, I think people have just taken to the symbolism behind it and not really thought through the whole process. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's about the holiest moment of our lives is when we take Holy Communion. Okay, did the Jews ever return from Babylon? You've talked mm -hmm. about yep. the moving. But right. And, and so just to finish the sermon here, 586 BC, the Babylonians come in, destroy Jerusalem, carry the Jews in bondage to, for 70 years to Babylon. That was God's punishment for the Jewish idolatry. But 70 years, years later, the uh, Cyrus then allowed the Jews to go back home and they did kind of clean up their act and they lived in Israel again until 70 AD when the Romans came in and destroyed the Jews and Jesus predicted that because you know what they're doing to me uh, uh, the Jews will be uh, judged and and then the Jews were not a nation until 1948 Wow. After World War II, they came back. If you watch the movie Exodus, it's all about how after World War II, the Jews came back to the Promised Land. And we've had fighting there ever since with the Arabs. So that's, yeah, that's the history of it. Wow. Are we born with a bad heart? I think we are. I don't think we're born pure and then we become sinners. Paul, uh, 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 David says this, Psalm 51, In sin my mother conceived me. I think we're born sinful. And, uh, and Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So, you know, if, you're, if you find yourself thinking horrible thoughts, saying things you shouldn't, that's all part of the sick human condition called the fall that had happened at, at the Garden of Eden. 
You know, it's hard to imagine when you just think you're talking about your heart, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, yeah. well, what, how important that vessel. Well, Paul, Paul says, we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Like Adam and Eve passed their sin on to all their, it's called original sin, we're born sinners. Okay. Yeah. What are some things that a person can do to soften their heart towards God? Uh-huh. I mean, people yeah. get angry and... Well, I think, uh, I love to, I, I know a woman who's going through demonic attacks right now, and I told her, put some Christian worship discs on your on your uh, DVD player, and worship can really soften my heart toward God. I love to go to a church that really knows how to worship, and you start either singing these old hymns or some of the new contemporary worship. Jackie, there's a there's a song called Revelation Song. Oh, I mean, it just softens my heart. So good worship can soften your heart. Bible reading, good preaching can soften your heart. Prayer, of course, and, and Christian fellowship, close-knit Christian fellowship can soften your heart. You know, I think it's interesting that you said about singing, though, because we always have a time for singing when we go to our weekly Bible study. Good. And you know what's funny is all the hymn choices are the old, oh, old traditional hymns. Yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to live without Old Rugged Cross, How Great Thou Art, right. etc. Okay. But, I, but I love some of the contemporary worship mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Well, it's changed. Yeah. But you know, you can tell that we're seniors <laughs> in this Bible study. <laughs> I hear you. Any advice on how a person should, what they should do to have a daily prayer time? Yeah. Everybody's got an excuse. Right, and everybody, like. I just want to encourage you, get a time every day, in the morning or in the evening, but get into a routine habit where you daily spend time alone with God, praying and reading your Bible. You might want to throw in there some devotional books, or I like to sing, take out my guitar, sometimes I sing to the Lord. But I, it's a habit I developed many years ago, best habit I ever got into. Uh, uh, there are occasions when I don't, make a full hour, but I often put an hour in in the day, in the morning mainly for me, praying and reading the Bible. You know, Tom, the country of America has really become so screwed up, I in guess. Yeah. I don't know what we can say other yeah. than that. And I, I guess my question for you is, do you think God's judgment is going to come to America? I think it's come. When we decided to have gay marriage, that was a sign of God's judgment on our land. Back in 1973, when we decided we can abort unborn babies, that's a sign of God's judgment on our land. And uh, now we have transgenderism. I think that's a sign of God's judgment on our land. All the pornography in America, all the premarital sex, all the venereal diseases, God's judgment is on America now. And I don't see, you know, I, I pray for revival in America. I don't see it happening. I hope it will. But Jackie, we're in trouble in America. And I'm amazed that we don't have more mass shootings and 9-11s. Uh, and like I said, you know, they, they didn't have mass shootings when you and I were little. Because we had some fear of God in America. We don't fear God at all anymore. And I think, uh, like I said, when you kick God out of your culture, you get what you get. So if a person commits adultery or murder, Will God forgive them? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. those are heinous yes. acts. Right. And what I would say 
If there's true sorrow and repentance, the answer is yes. God forgives even murder and adultery because David, King David, the man after God's own heart, committed, committed murder and adultery. So if there's, don't do it, of course. <laughs> but if you do and there's true repentance and sorrow and you come to Christ for forgiveness, there's forgiveness. Okay, a per person sent a question that says they met a Christian who says he doesn't sin anymore. Mm -hmm. And the question is, can you say that this is really, truly possible? No. First John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. But if we confess our sins, God forgives us. So, no, uh, it's impossible to be 100% sinless in this life. But then you got same same book, 1 John chapter 3, where it says no one who continues in sin knows God. So Jackie, both are true. If I sin, I confess, I repent, I'm forgiven. But if I'm living in it, there's no repentance, then you don't know God. You know, is it because two different authors have made that sort well, of a statement that yeah. it's But here, differs? Jackie, that's the same book. First John, written by the same guy. Okay. He writes First John one, and then he writes First okay. John three. That's true. <laughs> All right. Okay, you got three. me on there that one. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, what should a person do when they do sin? Okay, and I I heard this sermon when I was 19 years old, and the preacher said, every time you sin, you immediately do three things. Number one, immediately you confess it. The word confess, homologeo in Greek, is to say the same thing. So I say, God. I confess it. I say the same thing you say. That was wrong. Number two, I put it under the blood. God, I believe Jesus died for this sin, so it's forgiven. And then he said, number three, I immediately forget about it. You forgive yourself and you move on. So when you sin, confess it. I agree it was wrong. Number two, I put it under the blood. Lord, I believe Jesus died for this. And then number three, Lord, I forgive myself and I move on. You don't ask for forgiveness over and over for one sin. You ask for forgiveness once and then you move on. Okay. Well, Tom, we've only got a minute left, and okay. I do have some more questions okay. for you, so I think we'll just hold those sure. for next time. Sure. And would you like to tell our... Yeah, everybody, we thank you for watching our show and praying for us. And, and if you have somebody you know that needs to watch this show or any of our shows, they're all available for free at pastorstudy.org, pastorstudy.org. And you can Google... Uh, uh, Pastor Tom Brock on Facebook. All my Facebook articles are there talking about current things going on in the church. And uh, that is about it there, Jackie. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the pastor's study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.